Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We all look to those fortunate moments in life. Here's what I mean. You're just walking out of the store and you're fortunate to find some change lying on the, on the, on the sidewalk. And you feel, well, that was kind of nice. It happened that way. It worked out pretty good. Of course, change back then could buy more than today. Or we can be fortunate that when we go to some family reunion, we get to see someone, maybe a cousin or someone we haven't seen in so many years, and we feel fortunate that this year, by golly, I decided to go to that family reunion. I'm glad I went. This happened to me last week when I went up to Plymouth, Indiana for a class through the recognized service organization called Doxology, which is really uh, pastoral care. And uh, it was part two of this course that I took in 2012. And just being up the road, I was like, I have to go. It's only 67 miles away, and I was the closest guy who got there. So I got to wear that badge. But the topic of discussion of learning that day was pretty rough. It was perplexed but not in despair. And here's the sub-theme. Pastoral care during cultural freefall. And so all the topics were around personality disorders that struggle in the church or with issues of, of the topic of ideology that's so pervasive today that tempts many people in the church, even pastors, to fall on that ideology that can cause much harm. We talked about the embodiment uh, from a professor from Australia uh, who emphasized the embodiment so necessary compared to online things that doesn't put you in the fullness of that glory of what it feels like to be together. All these things were going on, though. That was nice, and, you know, there's always something to learn. But a fortunate moment arose amongst these 27 men who had come from all over the nation, far as Washington. But what was interesting is, is as I sat there, I, I, I pondered for a moment, and I realized my whole life just flashed before me, and here's why. Because there was someone there from every part of my life. There was someone there who, literally, I grew up with his brothers and sisters in Traverse City. There was someone there from my college years who now is a pastor at the campus and in and, and, and ministry up in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. There was another pastor who I saw out and was brothers with way out in Minnesota and did work with him. And then, of course, wouldn't you know it, the icing of the cake was to have a brother pastor right in our circuit from Marion, who was there as well. And amidst of all this, of all these persons that really represented my whole life, the, the, really, the, the great thing is, is, oh my gosh, they're all pastors. You don't really get to see something like that very often, let me just tell you. But I was thankful for that moment. Now, we are at the moment of the transfiguration today. And it's been a growing theme, if you don't pay attention, to the season of Advent. You have up on your pyramids, they're always teaching us things. You have a little star up here, and that's the season of Epiphany. That's how it starts, with the wise men. A little bit of light, right, that shines upon 
a little home that they meet Jesus, those wise men. But it's the growing light. That's the point of the transfiguration. A growing light that sees all those moments where Jesus is healing people and doing great things and all these wonders and signs that were coming from him, even casting out demons. But now it all ends, that kind of light, with that moment of the transfiguration. What is the transfiguration? A big word we don't usually use. It just means Jesus had a change within himself. Something was lifted up off of him, taking, like, like taking a mask off for a moment to see what's really going on. And of course, they saw his glory as God. Remember, Epiphany, summed up very simply, is this man is God. And it prepares us for Lent to know what this God, who is man, does for a sinful world. And frankly, they were going to need that comfort because the fact of the matter is, is that eight days prior, they heard these sayings. And what were the sayings? Well, frankly, Jesus was telling them, I'm going to suffer and die and rise in the third day. He told Peter that you made a good confession of my name, but now you're going to confess that before my great cross of what this means for you too, Peter. And so we see all this happening, and Jesus takes them up to a mountain to pray and to have a little bit of relief because that news was definitely heavy upon their hearts. But God invites us, too, to look to Christ and his good grace as glory. Fortunate. How fortunate there's glory for a sinful world. And so a few were fortunate to experience glory at its highest. Jesus shined for a moment with authority unobstructed by God, as God. Nothing was holding back. He could have shown that any time, any place, but it was only in that small moment with a few. A few who, frankly, amongst the group of the apostles, those three, Peter, James, and John, were very special to Jesus and what he saw for them to do in their lives. But this glory that came from Jesus was self-generated. It didn't come from anything else or anybody else, no spotlight like in a theater shining upon the main character. It just was just shining as light himself, God. It's not a borrowed glory. So in other words, for a time, glory was given to Moses, who shined with the face of God when he came down Mount Sinai. For a time, there was glory given to the prophets like Elijah. But this was a glory that was of eternity in Jesus. We heard today, now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So all the prophets, all their glory, can't compare to the glory that Jesus gives by his presence. And the brightness of Christ also conveyed glory on that mount of transfiguration, that mount of big change, of, of what was hidden, of Moses and Elijah. And of course, you know those characters, or you should. Moses, the guy who brought Israel out of the Egypt and all the darkness they wandered in for the wilderness and all the things God did through him and Elijah 
who we know had to work in the promised land, which wasn't so promised after all because he was being chased down by King Ahab and all these horrific things. And you know how Isaiah, or Elijah went. He was taken up in chariots of fire. And then Elisha was like, hey, what am I left to do? He still had to carry out his task as the prophet after Elijah. But up here on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah weren't talking about themselves. They weren't focused on their glory because one was more glorious with them and they were having a conversation with Jesus. And of course, you get a hint at what the conversation was because it was talking about his departure. Okay, what does departure mean? In Greek, it means exodus. And of course, this is what Jesus was about to accomplish through the cross of his own death and resurrection. Light, then, of all this going on was for the disciples to fix on Jesus. But you saw what happened. Peter got all caught up in the moment, which, why not? I mean, Jesus was talking about bad stuff. And so he wanted to build tents and kind of tabernacle there for a while and to enjoy it. But the cloud shadowed them. And then you heard what the father said of his son. It's my beloved son, my chosen one. The big thing is the end is listen to him. And then at that moment, everything went away. And all they saw was Jesus. All wrapped up in that humility. But they always was walking with him anyway. But the key was from the father... Unlike his baptism, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Here, the father speaks to these three disciples and says, listen to him, you guys, and for us all, listen. So far more are fortunate now with the glory of good news fixed for us in Jesus. The light is God in the flesh, able to redeem us. So we have to ask the question with the transfiguration. It doesn't fit in. It does not fit into our Western minds. Jesus lives a life. He dies and rises. The transfiguration says, well, duh. The resurrection will happen because look at his light. It penetrates out of all things of his own flesh. How can he not conquer sin and death? They'd forget that. And we forget that too. But the flesh of Jesus as God made man was able with all authority to redeem us. And here's what I mean. There's another kind of glory that we go into now, and this glory ends up in Gethsemane. And here is Jesus with his disciples, heavy in their hearts again, aren't they? And they fall asleep. They fall asleep when Jesus knows exactly where things are going. And... We know Moses saw the promised land at a distance. And you know what we heard today? God said, you're not going to go over there. But I'm glad you could see it. Jesus saw the gospel's glory and where it was going. And as the son, he was going to go and enter it all through the cross to give us glory. And so the light is Christ glorifying the fullness of the Old Testament. So in the church, we have the readings of that for a purpose, to emphasize that whatever you hear of Old Testament stories that are complex and are very detailed with, with all that God did long ago, 
It's to fix us on Jesus. And this is what happens at the cross. Because at the cross, you don't have Moses and Elijah. You have who hanging with Jesus? Two dudes, two guys, two sinners. Judged by the law and both looking for a miracle from Jesus because they both said, get us down from here. But he doesn't do that, does he? The fullness of the Old Testament was not the law or miracles, but God becoming man to deliver sinners to a better glory. And so the light then at the cross is listening to Jesus and to look upon his good grace, just as the Father said, listen to him. But how hard is this to do? The cloud of glory and the transfiguration was a cloud that man really did not have a right to stand in, but God allowed it by his grace. The cloud of gloom around the cross was where few would stand. Mary would be there, John, but not many. But before all that gloom of the cross, that cloud of crowds uh, saying crucify him and all this stuff, the mockery of the soldiers of Rome, they heard Jesus. They could listen to him. And he said wonderful things from the cross, a sacrificial love to be heard and seen. And it's what stands before us now in the church, before a gloomy world, to hear and see Jesus as he gives it to you, that promise through his word to hear of sins forgiven and also to eat and drink of his sacrifice that has conquered a world of darkness. And so all are to be fortunate then today now that Jesus goes with us in glory for a sinful world. Light is shining out to others because of Jesus. And that means he creates a community by his authority as God. And that community is you, the baptized, the church. You, who because of his light shines on you in water and the word, you now shine with him in your lives. Here's what St. Paul says to the Ephesians. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found that's all is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Discern means to sit down, stop reacting to TV and social media. Think about your stations and places in life and what you can focus on of good, right, and true is what God has spoken by his word and discern this pleasing thing to the Lord because it's what the world needs to know because the world is in deep, deep darkness today. Trying to figure it out with man's reason and man's reason has gone mad only to prove that we're sinners. And so light glorifies God's word for all to see Jesus. And so... You know, yeah, I know you can read. 500 years ago, you lay people could not read. It was exceptional only for pastors and for maybe some scholars, right? But 500 years ago, hearing the word of God would be a treasure, but now you can read at home and do with it as you want to. Most don't do much with it. But the reality is, is 
It's for the purpose to all see Jesus. And so we read the scriptures in church still. We don't say, well, the lay people could read it, so we don't need to have it spoken. We have it spoken so the light of Christ shines in our ears. And then it speaks through your life to others who might ask you about the text of Scripture today. The text, we have a light that reveals God's grace truly is listening to Jesus. It's not about the thematic way of a sermon design, even though that's fine and dandy. It's not about the stories that maybe can relate to your life. You understand it's listening to Jesus. He says your sins are forgiven. He says you are the light of the world because you have ears to hear my word for your life. You see, we have a care unshaken by forgiveness and salvation, a care that in the midst of this world is being shaken up through sickness, now through war, through economic distress and fear. But the care of Christ comes to listen to him, to lean on him, to know that God's love wants us to hear first and then see. The transfiguration was kept silent until Christ would rise for more than a moment on the third day, right? Jesus has died and risen never to die again. That's better than the transfiguration. God's love was to light up the cross by the eternal glory of his Son. Lent turns us to go in a destination with the light. And so the darkness will not overcome Christ for you, for all. Listen to him. Listen for life. Listen and see. God invites us to look to Christ and his good grace as glory. And how fortunate. It's better than that family reunion, better than finding a few chains in the road for a day. How fortunate for you and how fortunate it is for this sinful world that God has given us his son. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen.